Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Lucinda Bliss on her You album, and that song was entitled You. <laughs> it's not too bad of a title, actually, You, You, You. In Hindi, we always say, Pele up, you first, you first, to try to get out of this notion of just the I, me, and mine dilemma. What's in it for me? It's all about me. I am the one that's always right. I am the one. And even when you use the word with an awareness, you can feel how debilitating it can be on consciousness. It feels like it is coming from a a space of um, emptying you. There are two aspects to human consciousness or soul. And I don't know how many of you have just felt physically tired in the past where you just needed some rest or perhaps you needed a vacation. And you can go away. You can get your rest, you can get that vacation, and your tiredness goes. But how many of you have just felt empty? Empty inside. You're just not able to give the best of you to anyone, especially the people that you have the balance of um, love and attachment. Especially those people, the ones that live closest to you, get the truth. Have you noticed that? The people that are closest to you, get your truth. They see you morning, noon, and night, who you are, what you're up to, what are your challenges and what are your strengths and what's your potential. You have to think about it a little bit. Are you empty, tired, or are you full? And I think it's in this art of being a giver to share more of the best part of you despite how little you think you've got left, that little can be your investment to become a lot. So that's, there's a need for us to have that faith, that understanding, that belief system that there's more to me than my emptiness or even my exhaustion. And so whatever I think I eventually become and whatever I start to become, people also begin to see me with that energy. If what I've become isn't what I like, then I'm also not going to like the way people see me. Does that make sense? So where do you hold your power? In the soul? In the body? In a relationship? In your wealth? In your country? It's in the soul, isn't it? Because the soul has to claim back its original identity and its original self. Food for thought for today. Anyway, I hope that you all doing really splendid and life is treating you really well. And I want to remind everyone, if you happen to be in Sacramento, California, September 19th to 22nd, why don't you join me? I would love to have you there. The Shift Network is continuing their commitment to raising the consciousness and bringing some of the brightest visionaries to the nation and to really see in what way we can assist. We'll have Governor Newsom there. We'll have Gopi Kalayil, who's the chief brand marketing at Google. We'll have Mayor Heidi Harmon. We'll even have our wonderful friend Patch Adams, Trina White from Conscious Good Media. Mickey Willis from Elevate. I can go on and on of the incredible lineup of individuals that are going to be out there for the Visionary Summit 
September 19th to 22nd, and I'd love if you can join me. I'll also have the privilege of doing some conversations, even leading a meditation, and also maybe doing an opening in different ways. We're going to be trying something new for these kinds of conversations. We want to bring a little bit more light into conferences that tend to sometimes be a little heady. So please go to thevisionarysummit.com and let them know America Meditating definitely invited you to be on board. Today we have a very special guest. Her name is Marcy Anderson. She's an international author, corporate wellness consultant, and lecturer. And Marcy holds a degree in Eastern psychology and meditation after having lived, studied, and practiced for over 15 years, 10 of which she spent living in wonderful Mother Bharat in India. She's a master in helping to bridge spiritual knowledge from the masters of the East for the West in simple yet powerful practices. Marcy helps individuals, organizations, and groups through changes and transitions. She's also the author of Meditation for Athletes, which was presented to each athlete at the London Summer Olympics, and her book, Are We There Yet? Enlightenment for Busy People, has been a very top seller. Marcy has appeared as guest expert on national TV and radio shows and has published numerous publications. Today, we're so happy to welcome Marcy Anderson to America Meditating Radio. Hi, Marcy. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Om Shanti, Namaste, Namaskar, and all that good stuff. (laughs) Mm, Same, same. (laughs) I'm so glad that you had an experience of living in India. You must be a very powerful soul. I always tell folks, when you visit India, you need a lot of inner capacity, inner resolves, because it's a country with such a variety of options, even though it's so simple. There's a simplicity Mm. to India, but there's a complexity to India, too, which is hard to decode. (laughs) And perhaps Um, it's... You you think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's been just a lot and, you know, we're celebrating India's Independence Day and we want to talk about your experience in India and where you lived for 10 years. What led you to Mother India and what was your most important takeaway from that experience? Oh, it's beautiful questions. I have to say what led me to India was honestly the fact that I had lived there before in a past life. I discovered that once from my teacher when he could validate that human to human. But what led me there, uh, the long and short of it was at a very young age, very young, I uh, witnessed my oldest brother pass away from leukemia. And he had he'd suffered horribly at a very young age. And that was my lightning bolt. So at seven years old, I began to question, honestly, people think, oh, sure, seven years old. But I had some very burning questions and found out later that the languaging around that would be karma. You know, what is the karma? What's going on? Who's in charge? And that kind of thing. And I remember questioning the people that I thought had the answers. (laughs) And Mm. with all due respect, the nuns and the priests didn't have the answers. And that, that really, to be honest, it really angered me. But it also scared me because I thought, If they don't know, who knows? And I just made a conviction in in my heart and my soul. I'm going to find someone who can really tell me what's going on. 23 years later, had a very, very huge struggle in life and really made a prayer to God. Okay, 
if you're really there, then you need to show me very strongly, not some little pigeon feather floating down from the sky. I, mean, I need something very strong. And mm-hmm. I got my answer, and uh, something happened on the beach one day in Santa Monica. Fast forward, met a stranger about a month after that incident on the beach, and he was wearing a mala. I didn't know what a mala <laughs> was. I had no idea what India was. I didn't have any idea. And then one thing led to another, and I met my teacher. His name was Kalashwar, and he was in Penakonda, Andhra Pradesh, uh, part of India. When he came over to California from India, I just, I knew my heart just burst open and I just had tears coming out of my eyes and in my mind, I'm like, I'm not crying. What's happening? And <laughs> of course, of course I knew him, you know, and uh, yeah. anyway, so long story short, that was back in 1999 and stayed on, you know, for, for years. And uh, wow. that's what brought me to India. And once I was wow. there, as you know, sister Jenna, the minute I got there, I started having all these floods of memories and like memories that I couldn't, think that are my own thoughts so, yeah. yes yes and that's what I want to focus on our conversation as we have this special segment that was focusing on India's independence as we enjoyed the day with it that you don't mm-hmm. have to be born in an Indian body to still connect to India mm-hmm. do you know mm-hmm. what I mean it's like Absolutely. we are we are on a soul journey and the word that you use, which comes out a lot in Hindu, in Hinduism or mythological sharing or the mystics or the saints, is karma, that the soul has been performing a lot of actions and it has left deep, deep energetic impressions in the consciousness. And as a result of the consciousness, it's forming this, you know, this physical form, it's creating the manifestation of either your gender, language, where you end up. And some memories are so strong and compelling that I might be in a white body, but still I want to be in India and I want to hang out with South Indians or Gujaratis or Punjabis and I want to speak the language. (laughs) And for the life of me, my parents think I'm insane, but no, 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 Mom, you don't understand. This is it. This is where I belong. And Mm. so it, it connects to the fact that a message that I think this conversation really can keep going deeper into is that We've been here before. We are Mm -hmm. souls on a journey. And there are certain experiences of our past that are still lingering that say, unfinished business, I still need to be here. I still want to be here, even if Mm -hmm. the present physical situation isn't matching. I'd love if you can share, coming from your perspective, what would you say are the primary contributions of the East, which can be beneficial for the West? Hands down, absolutely, the knowledge. Hands down, absolutely, I was able to study with my teacher knowledge of the Rishis and Maharishis. You could say people that don't know what that means. It's just the great, great souls that literally from the dawn of time that honestly came on the planet because they understood the the suffering of humanity. And literally it was kind of like, you could imagine they're they're meditating and they're connecting to the consciousness and and to God and to infinity, and they're literally getting downloads of knowledge. And they're thank God they're right they're they're recording it. So palm leaf manuscripts, the pure non polluted knowledge, as we know, has been off the planet for a couple thousand of years, you know, for other reasons. But 
clearly the knowledge is important. If we're lucky, we can get that connection of the energy, or as we would say, mm-hmm. the, the, the Shakti or the, the divine energy love. But if we don't have the knowledge piece to go with that, then we have a boat, but we have no oar. That's yeah. number one. And number two, the energy, just the experiences. There, a lot of people don't understand that the knowledge, uh, the, the spiritual knowledge and the, just the pure God flow of India, that's why it's called Mother India. And the saints and the rishis knew exactly what they were doing. They understood the soul technologies, and they would install things called yantras. It's like a, it's like a blueprint of a soul diagram energy. And they would draw these huge, enormous yantras and bury them at the foot of these temples. And that's why it's like, oh, well, why are these temples drawing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people? Yes, they love right. God and all the forms of God, but there's a soul technology happening. And isn't that great? Because even if that person knows or doesn't know, their soul and their consciousness and all their chakras and pick up that energy. And isn't that beautiful that Mother India can mm-hmm. give that? They can go back to their country and still have those vibrations. Right, right. I get that. I get that. And when I look at the plight of America today, I keep feeling that I wish our youths, those between the ages of 15 to 25, would somehow mm-hmm. have a grounding of some sort of a inspiring, uplifting, spiritual depth of knowing the self or the way we are all mm-hmm. connected on the planet. There's like a void. And unfortunately, the churches aren't really supporting that narrative. You know, they're very, right. you know, focused on just themselves, and that's fine. That's just what it is. But I just wish that our youths would have the depth of that wisdom because one of the things that I love the most is when I hear truth, and it's universal, mm. and it just mm. expands the way I see the self and others and the planet and the world. It's like, yes, this is how I should be. And it brings me to realizing that we are souls and we have to develop or amplify a more soul-conscious pattern of existing rather than that body-conscious pattern of thinking. So the body thing is all about the physical dimension and what's not going to ever last. But the soul Mm -hmm. is about who we really are. When we're in the body, we can express the soul awareness through the body. But nowadays, the whole world is backward, like... The body awareness mm-hmm. wants to serve the soul, and the soul keeps resisting and go, but that's not me, you know? Yeah, that's why there's so much unnecessary suffering. That's why we have such high levels of stress and anxiety. People are literally jumping out of their bodies because there's such conflict, and you hit the nail on the head. That's why I'm here. That's exactly why I'm here back in the West. I'm from the West, went to the East, gained the East knowledge to bring it back to the West to try to work with anyone and everyone. But but in my heart, the younger generations, let them know, calm down. Let's let's get mm-hmm. off your device. Let's go into nature. Let's let's connect back to source, to God, to 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 peace. You can't yes. you can't buy peace. There's no app. <laughs> Yes. You know. Right? Mm-hmm. That yeah, is so hello. true. That is so true. <laughs> there is no app for peace as much as they're all marketable. <laughs> so here we are, right? Millions of people in the US especially. This is supposed to be the land of everything. And they're suffering. And they're suffering from sadness, depression, anxiety for sure. 
What are your thoughts? What would you say is the root cause of it? I always put it on algae, the acronym I use every single day. Anger, lust, greed, attachment, and ego in my consciousness, in my thinking. The the intention in my thinking, if driven by algae over a long mm. period of time, eventually takes me into a depressed state of myself. But of course, mm-hmm. if I think from love and peace and purity, I'm still going to run my business. I'm still going to take care of my partner. I'm still going to take care of my kids. I'm still going to pay the mortgage, come up with great mm-hmm. ideas, but it's the intention behind it. But here we are in the United States, and millions of people in this country are suffering and are on so many prescribed drugs. Right. Any thoughts about what you think the root cause of our suffering is in this country? Oh, it's like that full body chills when, you, when you're talking like this. Um, in my experience, I would say it goes back to what you're just talking about. It goes back to they don't know who they are. Number one, they don't truly know who they are. They're not connected to themselves, and they're more afraid to stop and get off the hamster wheel and look in that proverbial soul mirror and go, what is, what's going on? Who am I? What's my life? That's one. They're actually more afraid to deal with what's inside than to just keep skipping along the surface of the water and trying to go faster and faster. Fear. You're right. You know, if we have free will. And we have choice. But if Mm -hmm. our choice is coming from the things that you mentioned, coming from our, our, I would call them our blocks of unworthiness or jealousy or feeling left out or anger or or too many unbalanced desires, Mm -hmm. then we can say in our head, oh, but I'm choosing the right things. I don't know why my life isn't turning out the way I want it. It's not fair. And it's not not the truth. The truth is... The underlying energy of the choices you're making, going back to the first point, is what karma is all about. Right. We have this negative karma, and we are not being honest with ourselves. The second part of that would be, okay, well, how do I get off this crazy train? What can I do? And I always, always, always say, you've got to meditate. You've got to meditate because... Meditating, especially with mantra, understanding there's a higher vibration. It's like if you're hungry, there's a whole buffet. It's a higher vibration (laughs) that's actually doing two things at at the same time. It's kicking out and purifying and healing the negativity, the stress, the fear, which is the root of all of those things. Right. But at the same time, you mentioned you're pulling that cosmic, supernatural God energy. You are. And on every level, you're, you're, you're receiving that. And if you keep doing that, just say a little a few minutes a day, but, you know, more and more you can, not on your phone, <laughs> sit in silence and, and, and meditate. I guarantee you, I give you my word, it works. And there's nothing, there's no, even a divine soul, you know, you could name anyone. They had to go through the same door. You have to meditate. And mm-hmm. I would, you know, I would say meditation is better than any medicine, medication, you know, it is. Yes, right, it is. It is a medication. It really is. Yeah. You know, you've been mentioning a word that comes out of India a lot, which in the U.S. or in the West, we tend to look at karma always as something negative. You know, they go, oh, it's just right. her karma. And it really isn't. <laughs> it, karma is a result of just all your actions and intentions behind 
your actions that are resulting in the situation that you're in. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. about your interpretation of karma? Am I right or, or not? Absolutely. So people, especially in the West, and I, I love everyone, please just slow down. So just mm-hmm. listen. <laughs> karma is action to reaction. It's your thought. Uh-huh. It's your intention. It's your spoken word. It's even something that you might have a tiny little, kind of little bit of inertia behind. And if it's negative, If it's bad, if it's not going to be constructive or positive to yourself or someone else, please don't do it. Stop yourself Mm -hmm. and say, whoa, I am a powerful, powerful being. All of us are. We are co-creators. Is karma real? It absolutely is real. And so please don't think that you're beyond karma. Nobody is beyond karma. Nothing in nature is beyond karma. It is once you come into form, Once we come into the body, we are under the power, the direction of nature, the five elements, you could say, you know, karma is real. How do you burn negative karma? That's a question I get a lot. Again, I'm going to default to take personal inventory. Who are you Mm -hmm. being really? And then meditate. Ask for forgiveness. If you don't know how to do that, just do it. (laughs) Start. Open your heart. You be kind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just be kind. Just You know what? Baby steps. Please just yeah. understand that we're all in the same soup. And whatever you're feeling, most of, probably most everyone else is feeling the same way, even though they may not look like that on the surface. Mm. You first take care of your own soul vibration. You first mm-hmm. be, come into alignment with, you know, be in your heart. Try, at least try. And then you sure. watch how your world will change. Positive. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with that. And again, you know, these are really old ancient ideas, which somehow yeah. we have, I don't know, pushed them to the side, forgotten them, gotten <laughs> caught up too much in the material world and the speedy world, as you say. You know, everybody's speeding. Even in India now, people are just speeding up a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's something that's also getting transformed there, too, as a country. When you look at the value of the Indian people as we, you know, on our Independence Day today, what would you say is one of the strongest values that you loved and appreciated from the people of India? I'm just smiling when you're saying that. I just would have to say their sincere, genuine heart their sincere, genuine desire to to help you. Like if you if you go to them and you need something, if this is a this is a funny joke. They would say five minutes, madam, five minutes, and it could be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But what they mean is that they <laughs> that they really want to help you and they're gonna get to it. And but it but it comes from such a pure place. Of, they I really want to help you, but they might have to hop in a rickshaw for half a day to go get what you need. But they'll do yes. it. Yes, that is so true. There is a generosity about the culture. And what would you say (laughs) is the strength of those of us in America? I would say the strength of us in America as a people is that we're resilient. And I say that in a positive way because if we keep bobbing up to the surface, it means we still are trying to fix something or get better or try harder and I think that's awesome. I think that's, that's, that's amazing. Now, let's just reach for the right tools. Let's just, mm. let's just reach for the right tools. 
this next time and get it right because we mm-hmm. it's going to take all of us to to help ourselves first put on our own oxygen mask first and then to help other people and i think mm-hmm. i want to really hit that point because i think people well marcy isn't that being selfish kind of but it's being selfish in a way that i say it's actually coming from awareness so if you can mm-hmm. really truthfully know hey if I need a tourniquet, I got to put that on me first, and I got to be okay, and then I can help other people. You definitely can mm-hmm. help other people if, you, if you're not okay. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Thank you for that. That's very true. A lot of people are walking around with different hurts, whether you're from the east or the west. The soul just tends mm-hmm. to be so attached to an event that transpired between them and another, or even something within themselves. Is it possible to heal heartbreak and really move on? Or do we take the experience of the heartbreak, which is a part of our destiny, to keep moving on? Do do we just forget it Uh, and just say, Om Shanti, I I want to pretend this never happened to me? That's an awesome conversation. This is something I could talk to you for hours about, but, Mm. but the long and short of it is two answers. Yes, you can heal from heartbreak. How do I know that? And how can I say that confidently? Because I did. And that's a question I got to ask my teacher face-to-face. Is it possible? Mm-hmm. And you're going to love his answer. He just looked at me and, like, snapped his fingers. He goes, no problem. Like, in the West, <laughs> we're so dramatic. You know, like, oh, mm-hmm. we're like a soap opera, right? But mm-hmm. I, I stopped him when he said that. I said, how? And he said, you watch. You keep doing these meditation processes. You, you keep trying you keep bringing up the things that you know you need to let go of and forgive especially if it's yourself and you watch in a short time it'll it'll be gone i can tell you with every cell in my body i literally woke up one morning and i tried to see if i still felt heartbreak i tried to like feel it like maybe it's still there it's gone mm-hmm. it healed so mm-hmm. so you can heal heartbreak yes and yes the second part of that answer is okay can everyone imagine what that would be like? Because if, because if we go back, Sister Jenna, to karma, if we go back to understanding how we navigate our interior landscape, like what's really going on and who's in charge, if you're performing your life, your actions, your thoughts, your intentions, your desires from heartbreak, then the problem is you're going to attract more heartbreak. Why is that? Because the soul is very powerful. And it knows what it knows. So how do you first heal from heartbreak? Right. And then how do you not attract it? Because isn't it funny? Again, all due respect to the law of attraction, but the reason it doesn't work for most people is because the missing piece is until you heal those vibrations, those blocks within you, and get out of your own way, get the small ego out of the way, et cetera, and you really come into alignment with your soul, your consciousness, uh, which there are many mm-hmm. levels. Is it possible right. yet? Then you, you get to hit that reset button in life. And I'm telling you, we are blissful, beautiful, loving creatures at our core, and we should be living like that. And we can, but it's not in a pill, and it's not in a vacation, mm-hmm. and it's not in a new Bentley. It's just, it's not. Yeah, the Bentley's yeah. nice, though. <laughs> I I would take a Bentley, but I would be. I'll take a Bentley too, in, in the, especially the latest model. And I would give, I, and I would give you a ride. Yeah. 
I, and I would take it. And I would take it. I would definitely go into it. As we, as we talk so much about the Eastern philosophy and its benefits, and also the strengths of the West as well, uh, looking at the times that we're in, uh, are you optimistic? Yes, I am. And I would say this very, my teacher said one thing to me. He said, always speak the truth. And I'm optimistic because I really have complete, pure conviction in anyone who really truthfully wants to wake up, wants to be, how do I say this, good, wants to understand why I'm here, how can I help, wants to help change how things are going. On the surface, no, it doesn't look so good, does it? And there are things happening that definitely shouldn't be happening. Absolutely. I call it being emotionally sloppy, and it's not fair. But isn't it interesting how tragedy, whether it be in someone's behavior, in a society's behavior, or whether it, it be a up. reflection, for, yeah, or a mm-hmm. tsunami, an earthquake, it wakes us up. And it shakes mm-hmm. us back to what's important. And isn't it funny because what's important when we get those wake-up calls is what we should be focused on all the time. Yeah. So I'm optimistic, yeah. yes. But there are also people not ready to wake up. It's not their time. You're right. It's yeah, not their time. It's not their- we all have different soul graphs, and that's okay. Right. So what's your favorite Indian dish? I'm such a wuss when it comes to spice. I have to say, I do like palak paneer. Okay, wonderful. I do like now. I do like palak paneer. Yeah, <laughs> we all do. And now, are you a good cook uh, with Indian cuisine? Because it's such a big part I'm of okay. the culture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm okay, but actually, my my 14 year old daughter, who was also with me in India for about half of her life, she's better than I am. <laughs> I bet she is. I bet she is. You know, one of the things I love about in India, once you go to an Indian family's home, you better expect food. And no matter how much you say no, you're going to put that food on the table. And I tell you, I always come back gaining weight. I just tell you, I just uh, it just gets to me, gets to me. I can't end our conversation without uh, talking a little bit about your corporate wellness consulting that you do. And another question after that one would be about what you felt when all your books were actually distributed to the London Summer Olympics. Um, Well, the corporate wellness. So really, honestly, in a nutshell, what I am doing is I'm bringing, it's kind of like I'm stuffing an air balloon into a tiny Ziploc bag. I'm doing my best to bring what I learned in India to the West, whether it be an individual, a school, you know, young kids, whether it be an organization, whether it be a small group giving them the knowledge pieces, giving them meditation, giving them practices to really accelerate. And I don't want to say that in a Western way, but really to accelerate their progress to get them from A to Z the fastest. Like if you have a migraine, you don't want to feel better next year. You want to feel better in about 10 minutes. (laughs) And it's true. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we we can't help it, right? Enlightenment for busy people. I was going to say enlightenment for impatient people, but... I figured that that was a bad 
So I bring, and it can look different ways. Maybe it's a yoga, meditation, journaling retreat. Maybe it's coming in for an hour to give to give a seminar and then lead a meditation. It can look different ways, but what's beautiful, to answer the, the last question as well, there's a lot of people, companies, that are focused on emotional well-being. They're focused on the fact that if our employees aren't okay, there's no company. And I mm-hmm. am mm-hmm. really inspired by that. So I can be a beautiful, integral part in that. So that's, I'm psyched to be able to do that. And I'm, I know that I'm doing my dharma for sure. So um, that's great. And then, and just to clarify, actually, my book wasn't presented at the Olympics, but I was asked to write a very quick, condensed, how do you get athletes who visualize their, their game, their competition, into meditation in the most, I'd say, non-competitive way, which is kind of a play on words. Like, don't scare them because maybe they don't want to meditate. And so basically I wrote something called Meditation for Athletes. So it's really, it was a platform to my book. But it was great because, as you know, an athlete visualizes and has an intention, and then they go compete. Well, meditation is the same. So in my book that I want to let you know, my, my teacher told me, he would help me write, and then he took Maha Samadhi, and I'm like, okay. And then about two years later, I was in a, a, giving a healing session on a client, and it came as a download. And I literally wrote the book in, on pencil and paper in two weekends. And that is a blueprint for the ancient knowledge, and that is what meditation is. It's having your intention on an intention with no tension. Mm, and yes, people get that. So you have to. Ha- it's like you have to have an intention, have your attention on that, let it go. Don't be tense. It means lay down if you have to meditate. Lay down. Don't worry about it. Don't have to sit in a lotus position. Relax. Beautiful. Let- Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. So I'm going to end on that note because that's a great messaging right there. I think one Thank of the you. things that we sometimes grapple with is clarity in our intentions you know there's always a mixture of Mm. i always say the i me or mine dilemma where it's Mm. more self-focused it's more human conscious versus the the you the us the universal what's in it for all Mm. of us is a completely Mm. different intention yeah and when that aspect is clear we can definitely feel a, a deeper sense of empowerment is there anything else that you'd like to share and by the way i really enjoyed our conversation today I I do too. Thank you. I really feel your love and I really, honestly, I really pronoun to you and anyone else out there doing this work, providing these, these, these platforms and this, this love um, for the planet. We really need it. So thank you. Thank you. All I would say, go off of of what you just said is a lot of people, like if if I'm doing a a sacred fire puja or I'm doing, you know, leading a meditation class or a yoga class, whatever, and they don't know, Marcy, I don't know what to ask. How do I ask? And I say, I call it my Hail Mary path. (laughs) I say, Mm -hmm. well, why don't you get out of your own way and why don't you ask through your connection to God or to source and say, I don't know what you want to give me. I don't even know what I'm ready to receive, but please bless me with what I'm ready to receive and help me to gracefully receive that 
and carry out whatever that is. Walk with me, God. You know, walk with me. But please give me what you know I'm ready to receive. Mm, that's very beautiful. Marcy, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on air. That's Marcy Anderson, everyone. And the best website for you is? It would be uh, www.corporate-wellnessconsultants.com. Beautiful. All the very best. Hope to see you soon. Thank you. Take care. Wonderful to hear what the experience was. I mean, here we are. We might be born in another colored body, religion, country, and yet there's a deep connection to Mother Bharat, to the land of India. So food for thought, have we been here before? I know I I definitely know I have been. But is there some karmic story going on with you? Are things within the soul still unfinished? And basically the energy recorded in the soul is directing us still, taking us here or there. So is there really a need for racism, bigotry, hate? And if there is racism, bigotry, and hate, division, jealousy, competition, is it something that was within me that I've been experiencing and going through that I haven't given weight to? I mean, what if I am born in a white body? And what if my previous body was a king of an African tribe? And here you are, you might be a hater of people with black bodies. What are you trying to tell me that when you were back there in that body, you were having some issues with your own? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, we're souls. Let's break the attachment to all these limits. And let's see if we can really, really dive more into what are the virtues of this role that I'm in now? What are my values that I can contribute to the planet to make my destiny and my karmic future even better than it is today. So I hope you've enjoyed our special segment honoring India's Independence Day today. I know I did. We had some beautiful, beautiful conversations with lots of amazing people. You can play it on a loop, rerun, check us out on Twitter, on the Facebook, and just keep connecting with it. As you all know, we're on Spotify, so feel free to follow the show there and all the other networks if you just go to americameditating.org. I love that you can join us, and I love that your heart is open for your own transformation. I think that's our only responsibility stay open stay true and just believe that there's a future that your soul is carrying so what good are you going to do today (laughs) remember no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission and we really are here to love each other the same let's end with our wonderful wonderful sweet sister Sanatam Kaur on her latest album Wa Yanti take care everyone
Sister Jenna, you've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or in iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care. You're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life.
तत्र भगवती गंगे त्रिभुवन तारिणी तरल तरंगे देवी सुरेश्वरी भगवती गंगे त्रिभुवन तारिणी तरल तरंगे शंकर महुली विहारिणी विमले मम मदिरासाव पद कमले अलकानंदे परमानंदे गुरुकुणामय कातरवंगे तव तट निकटे यवास खलु वैकुंठे तस्वास Hello, everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio and to our special segment honoring India's Independence Day. Yes, it's that day. It's that time when we're really beginning to check what did we fight for and who are we as a people. I thought it was important for us to really begin to honor the country, the people, the land, and to put some a spotlight on its incredible legacy throughout history. We have, you know, from the area of the LBGTQIA community to the environment and to also what it's like to move into a space of yoga and meditation as a culture. Today gives me great pleasure to welcome our next guest, who is a returning guest on America Meditating Radio, Grammy Award winner and U.S. Billboard number one artist, Ricky Cage. He's an internationally renowned Indian music composer. You just heard one of my favorite songs. Oh my gosh, I love that one, which is called Ganga. And every time I played in the mornings, I just feel like I'm at the Ganga doing something great. But anyway, back to Ricky. Um, he's not only just an Indian music composer, but a, a conservationist 
I'm having a tongue a, a twister, but a professor of the prestigious National Institute of Advanced Studies at the Indian Institute of Science and an ambassador of Earth Day Network. He's composed and produced one of his latest albums, Shanti Samsara, which I love. It was launched by the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi and French President Francois Hollande in the presence of world leaders at the United Nations COP21 Climate Change Conference in Paris. But he's gone on to perform music from this album twice at the United Nations General Assembly, among other prestigious venues all over the world. Recently, he just performed in the Himalayas at the elevation of 12,000 feet, which we're going to talk about. He's a real leader, and he cares a lot about the environment, and he continues to do most of his work, which includes music, to spotlight the importance of our environment and how we can take care of our planet. And I want to have a conversation with Ricky about the role of India and our environment, as well as just his talents, his life, and his faith and love for the Indian culture so that we can learn more about India, its values, its people, and why in the first place did we even fight to become independent. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Ricky Cage to the air. Hi, Ricky. Hi. How are you? So good to be on your show again. Yeah, same here. Om Shanti. Om Shanti and Om Shanti to you. (laughs) Om Shanti. Yeah, so so we're doing this special segment where on this day, India's Independence Day, we want to begin to offer some more information on the backbone of this country and its culture. And as we celebrate this Independence Day, I'd be curious to find out from your perspective, how far do you feel India has come especially in the last, I don't know, 50 years? Um, Of course, uh, India has been uh, progressing in leaps and bounds in the last few years, and that's uh, very encouraging. And uh, what is even more encouraging is that the timing of all of this progress, because uh, right now the book knows that we need to be much more environmentally conscious in the way that we develop. Everybody understands the term sustainable development that that you know that just developing and just having a robust economy is not enough to keep that robust economy itself sustainable we need to have a more sustainable planet and we need to have a sustainable environment and sustainable natural world and uh, india has realized this because we went on a path of development once the world realized these facts so that's a very exciting time in india and it's a very exciting time for uh, all of us uh, for our population to actually develop in india Mm-hmm. It sure is. And what was it like to be in the Himalayas performing for the Indian Army at 12,000 feet? Because it's also known to be the world's coldest and highest desert. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, extremely exciting. Uh, I was very honored when the Indian Army had uh, invited me to perform uh, for them. Yeah, as you mentioned, it was at an elevation of 12,000 feet, and, uh, you know, the air is very thin over there, so it's very difficult to breathe, and especially while performing to exert yourself, it's very difficult. Uh, yeah. We had a couple of uh, oxygen cylinders on the side wing, just in case we <laughs> needed to have, take a breath or a pop of oxygen. And also we reached the venue between two to four days in advance so that we could acclimatize to the weather. Well, that's amazing. I mean, I can only imagine the the visuals, the energy. It must have been very, very quiet up there. So when you were performing, it must have reverberated throughout the whole land in a way that you and I would never be able to decode, would you say? 
Yeah, definitely. It was uh, very, very quiet over there. And because there's no forest, there's no cricket sounds and things like that. Yeah. And it's a desert, so it was extremely quiet. And uh, and also it was uh, doubly an off because uh, the Indian Army has is, of course, the second largest army in the world. But more importantly, the Indian Army is known to be one of the very few armies in the world that has never, ever attacked another country. So the Indian Army, and that's why we call our army the Defense Forces, because we have all only been activated when we are defending the country. We've never attacked or never sought out another land ever in the history of our country. And India seems to stand very proud on the fact that it has not gone over to any other country to raid them, to take them over, to inflict violence on anyone. Why do you think that is so? And why um, is it that, would you find that the the military in India, uh, are they just more spiritual? I mean, what is it? I mean, every other country, they could be on the defense, but everybody keeps fighting for something. They keep wanting what somebody else has. I mean, British royalties and, and, and other countries have come into India, taken its jewels, taken its wealth, taken its resources of the people to build their empires. But India has stood strong on their own footage. Why, why do you think that is? I guess it's multiple reasons, actually. Uh, it's very difficult to quantify as to why uh, this is the case. But of course, one of the major reasons could be that India has been under the rule of a foreign power for a really, really long time. Uh, you know, there were the Mughals, then there was there's been British for more than 200 years. And so that is why we value our sovereignty a lot. And uh, we also value freedom of uh, other countries too. So I guess uh, that is the reason why, I guess, uh, one of the major reasons why we have never ever sought out another land or yeah. uh, never tried to colonize another country. And also the other thing is that India has very different resources. As, uh, as you also know that... Uh, you know, when you look at any kind of landscape anywhere in the world available in India, when you look at any kind of a, any kind of a resource, whether it is iron ore, whether it's coal, whether it is uh, what you call water, whether it is the land, whether it's agricultural land or um, or biodiversity, every single thing is available in India. So we've never actually felt the need to actually attack another country to mm-hmm. uh, to uh, their resources. We've always been very rich. With the resources and of course our people resources is very high. There yes. are 600 million people in India who are under the age of 25. So you know, so our youth resources are really high in India. So we just wow. have to look inwards for uh, for greatness. You know, we do not have to look anywhere outside of India. I love that. We just have to look inwards for our greatness. We don't have to look elsewhere for that. And I didn't know there were. 600 million. Yeah, yeah, six, yeah that's amazing. Yeah. No wonder they're almost all in million, IT. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Um, Music plays a very big role in your life, but not only that, I had the privilege of experiencing your talents and your team in Mount Abu, India last year, and you have combined music with the environment. And and I want to be able to put some light on India's role in creating a more sustainable future. I believe in 2020, um, Prime Minister Modi's declared, or is it 2025, he's declaring that all cars in India will start to really run on elect, in electric cars. And you have been con- 
continuously using your music to raise a, a very deep environmental consciousness in people. Why did you decide to dedicate your life to creating music on the environment? So the so two pillars that have pretty much dictated my life have always been the environment and music. Uh, and so it was only natural that I would combine the two. And so after I won the Grammy Award in 2015, that is when I decided to very strongly dedicate my life and my musical, my musical journey to creating environmental consciousness and, and just, you know, doing this for the rest of my life. And so I guess that's what started off that journey. And India with a population of 1.3 billion people, I mean, uh, if we can somehow you know, create a more environmentally conscious society within our own country and um, uh, create a more environmentally conscious society itself. Uh, the thing is that uh, we are solving the world's problems because we are one-sixth of the world's population. Even our culture also in India, you know, from a spiritual standpoint of view, the core of India is basically the Sanskrit phrase, which is called Vasudevakutabakam, which uh, literally means the world is one family. So the thing is that when we talk about the world is one family, uh, according to Indian ancient culture, it does not just mean uh, you know different parts of this place. It means the, every single entity in on this planet, whether living or non-living. So basically, all life, all species, and also all the elements of nature, like water, air, land, herbs, vegetation, all of that stuff. So. I believe that we have a huge opportunity over here to, to lead the way for the world, uh, to showcase how we can develop, because unlike the Western world, one third of India still needs to reach a stage of development because we are still a developed country. So, so we are not going to develop the way the rest of the world develops uh, with a large carbon footprint. We are going to develop in a far more uh, empathic way, in a far more uh, compassionate way, and also, uh, and also in a way that is more sustainable to the planet. So we've got a huge opportunity over here, and I hope that all of us Indians rise to the occasion and take this opportunity to uh, to pretty much save the world. Mm, be- beautiful. Now, I was on a conference call, and we had conversations with former Vice President Al Gore, where he had released his second movie, An Inconvenient Truth, the sequel. And one of the things yes. that came up from Al when we were talking to him was he also felt that a very big part of India's future uh, relied on their empowerment of women because they feel also that women empowerment is a part of sustaining the environment and helping the climate change to really take part in which we don't have to worry about an end to the world, but rather a continuity of the world. Do you have any thoughts about that? Do you think that India is empowering their women, or do you think there's a lot more work to be done there? I guess when it comes to women empowerment, it's not just an India problem. I think it's a, it is a world problem. Even the most uh, developed nations in the world have got a huge women empowerment issue because I guess <laughs> that is the way the world had progressed. And right now we are realizing that it is extremely important to have uh, gender equality in society for the benefit of society itself. Because when women and men walk together, and the women and men are one species, so if we walk together, then it is just beneficial for society in general. If you look at India's history, we got our independence in 1947. And in 1948, when our constitution was drafted, we are pretty much the only democracy in the world, which, uh, which when we started off as a democracy itself, women were empowered to vote. You know, in fact, uh, women were allowed to vote in Asia before America and before even most European nations like Switzerland. So the thing is that there has always been an empower. I mean, women have always been a very important part of society in terms of even our deities, our gods, 
mainly women. But the issue is this that, you know, during the time of our colonization, during the time, uh, uh, during the time when we were, uh, what do you call that, uh, rather more neo-modern time, you know, we ourselves have forgotten our culture. And mm-hmm. uh, so right now it's, it's, a, it's a concentrated effort to go back to our culture and understand uh, that women are an extremely important part of our uh, society and part of the, a part of the family. Now it also goes into yeah. another thing of like you know when India got into capitalism, you know where where you know the person who's the earning member of the family or the person who's actually bringing in the bringing in the money is uh, is said to be the most important part of the family unit, you know. And in my opinion, it does not make sense because money is not the only value when it comes to society, and that is why. You know, we need. Uh, I mean, I'm just speaking all over the place, but at the end of the day, we need to go back to our culture. We need to go back to our roots, and we need to understand that uh, that a more um, uh, women-centric and a more women-empowered uh, society is just beneficial for society and the planet in general. No doubt, no doubt. And even in India alone, Indira Gandhi was one of the longest-serving Indian prime minister, definitely, and she was a woman. Exactly. And here. In America, we're still fighting with the fact that no one's really ready to deal with a female president, and I just have no idea why that is the case. And so where you might yeah. think here in the West, quote-unquote, the publicity is that we're a developed nation, we're still not able to welcome the energy of mothers to rule a country. And for the life of mm. me, I have no idea, and perhaps one of the reasons why we're seeing even in the United States such a rapid decline, just 500 years of an economy. Is it because that's been, you know, is it because it's a male-dominated rulership? And I'm not saying it is. I'm just questioning, is that a reason? And I've seen that one of the qualities of women leadership in India is that they're great sustainers. And when you look at majority of the deities, images, the 33 million deities, that are worshipped in mm. India, majority of them are female forms, which to me speaks yes. speaks highly in numbers, in numbers. I mean, just the way the country moves. I know that when we last spoke, you had produced an album a while back, Shanti Samsara, and you had collaborated with over 500 musicians in over 40 countries, and they all came together for an environmental cause. You want to share with our listeners a little bit about what that was like and how it all came together? Yes, that album was a very important uh, part of my life. So again, after uh, after I had won the Grammy Award, our Prime Minister Narendra Modi had invited my wife uh, for a meeting at his office, uh, and the album was pretty much born out of that meeting because uh, he's a very strong uh, uh, environmentalist, and we started uh, discussing about the environment. We started discussing about philosophies and uh, um, and uh, nature and things like that, and. And that is when we decided that let's make an album which uh, features musicians from around the world and uh, let's release the album at the Climate Change Conference which happened at Paris in 2015, at the end of 2015, where the world came together to decide to do about, uh, you know, about carbon emissions and about global warming and, and, you know, and things like that. So that album was a very beautiful experience because I got to collaborate with musicians from different parts of the world, from 40 countries, from countries like China, Azerbaijan, Turkey, basically every corner of the world where we could find musicians who felt strongly about the environment and uh, performed that uh, album now in more than 30 countries uh, all over the world. So, and it's still going strong. Uh, in this year itself, I'll be performing in another five countries, adding up that tally to more than 35 countries. Mm, congratulations, Ricky. That's so good. Um, water shortage, let's talk about that. 
there's a big water shortage in India, and it's going to be a huge concern. Many cities are said to lose water by 2021, which is right around the corner. What is the importance of water, and what can we do to combat that? Uh, since time immemorial, all of us know that you know that civilizations uh, have always been born on the banks of rivers, and uh, when those rivers have dried, those civilizations have pretty much uh, perished. The so water has always been extremely important, and uh, for life itself, and uh, uh, it's the same with with any other country as it is with India. And uh, unfortunately, we're not treating water uh, uh, with the respect that. Uh, water needs to be given and uh, we have multiple cities in India including the city where I live in that is Bangalore and Chennai and Delhi are going to completely run out of groundwater by uh, the year 2021 and then other wow. cities like Calcutta and uh, Mumbai which are going to completely run out of water by about 2022 or 2023 so we need to act now to conserve water and to understand the importance of water to understand the importance of not wasting water because uh, mm-hmm. the biggest issue is this that uh, in the, in an era of consumerism, we have been taught of that we should, I mean, that only money should be the deciding factor as to how much we should, we should consume. And money should be the deciding factor for the limits to how much we uh, should consume. And we, uh, but right now the narrative needs to change that, you know, that, uh, that the safety and the success of our planet should actually be the deciding factor as to how much we should actually consume. And uh, that's what everybody needs to realize in India, that we should uh, consume and consume water just because we can afford it. We have to understand that uh, we have to understand to be empathic towards uh, towards the planet, and we have to be compassionate towards the planet itself. Well, Ricky, what can we do if if water might be short or almost non-existent by 2021 for those areas that you mentioned? I mean, what can where can we get water from? What what do we do? What's the government so doing? The what that, what can the people do? So there are multiple things that uh, need to be done. One is, of course, uh, rainwater harvesting, that we cannot waste our rainwater. Second, uh, which is the most important, I believe, is basically creating a cyclical economy, which uh, right now we haven't moved into the but our government is trying really hard to move our people into a cyclical economy. Like, for example, when we that we wash our hands with, that actually go on to, you know, watering a garden. And uh, the water that comes off our washing machine, which is liters and liters of water, that could actually, uh, that could actually go on to that water could actually be reused and go, to, you know, flushing our toilet. So basically, we need to we need to understand and uh, figure out ways and innovative ways to actually reuse our water, so that uh, so that uh, nothing actually is used and throw, you know, extremely important. And of course, when it comes to the environment, our government is doing a whole lot of which actually leans into uh, protecting water. To for example, we are moving into renewable energy by. We've got a very ambitious target of by, by that year, by the year 2020, to uh, produce 175 gigawatts of renewable energy, which will pretty much give India the leadership role when it comes to renewable energy in the world. As you mentioned, you know, electric cars by 2025, they're going to be stopping all production of uh, cars which run on fossil fuel electricity. And also, you know, when it comes to when it comes to water, it, this is mainly an urban population type problem in India because if you look at our forests, our forests are uh, actually doing very well when it comes to water conservation. Our tiger populations mm-hmm. have increased. In fact, our tiger populations have increased by 30% since 2014. When the tiger population increases, that is the best indicator that, uh, you know, that there is enough groundwater in the forest because then you know, the tiger has got enough prey to uh, consume on. The prey has got enough foliage, and the foliage has got enough water to actually sustain and to uh, grow. Basically, it's all, it's all about changing mindsets within, uh, within yeah. the kingdoms of India. 
and within the populations of India and making sure that we are more responsible as a population. And I am very hopeful. I do believe India will become the Satyug of the future when Kaliyug has burnt itself out, <laughs> which is the age now. <laughs> um, thoughts on Nelson Mandela and Mahatma Gandhi being their 100 and 150th year, respectively, since you had performed for the Gandhi Mandela Peace Initiative recently in Delhi. What was that like? Yeah, it was a, an amazing performance. It was a nice, beautiful, intimate performance. And also I was very grateful that uh, the granddaughters of Nelson Mandela were present at the uh, event, also uh, the great-granddaughter of Mahatma Gandhi. So it was it, it was a beautiful, beautiful event. And also when you look at these two great leaders, uh, what happens is that uh, if you look at, uh, or rather if you look at history in general, all the leaders that we actually revered in the past, we, we realized that uh, whatever they spoke about or whatever they preached, are not uh, exactly relevant in today's time. Like, for example, a person like Alexander the Great was considered great because he conquered many lands and, you know, and he colonized uh, many nations. Uh, but at the same time, today he's no longer considered great because we know that that is not an ethical way to actually live and to, uh, right. and, uh, and to rule people. But if you look at Mahatma Gandhi and Nelson Mandela, here are two fantastic and great leaders whose words and whose teachings and whose principles and whose ideals are even more relevant today than what they were during the time when they existed. And in fact, we need to turn back to them for their, uh, for their teachings to actually figure out how we can navigate through the problems of today. So that's why I've got great admiration for these two great leaders. And, uh, and yeah. it was a great honor for me to perform for the, for the Gandhi Monday Live. Yeah. Well, you know, Ricky, I've been watching and following you quite a lot. Not really watching you. I don't want you to think I'm stalking you. But... <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I have had the fortune of keeping up with you on your social media links, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. You seem to strike me as a soul who who has found his call. And as a result of that, you're not going to waste a moment of your life. You're like on this mission. You're on this mission to make the world a better place. What is it? Have you been able to identify that inner passion? What is that thought that drives you? I know for me, when I get up in the mornings, there's a feeling for me, um, the well-being of my humanity. When I reflect back in times like the, the slavery in America, the Holocaust in Germany, and the absolute torture in slave trade in, in um in Egypt in the days, and just just history. I just, my heart breaks. And I can see that we might still even create that even today. So when I get up, I get up with this feeling every day that I'm an instrument to help to save humanity. I might not save all of it, but I'm a part of the saving. Have you been able to identify what is that one thought that seems to drive Ricky Cage every day? First of all, um, I also uh, stalk your uh, social media all the time, and <laughs> I'm completely <laughs> in touch with whatever you're doing. And I pretty much look up to you uh, in terms of what you just mentioned, uh, in the way that, like, you know, that uh, you also, like, you know, every moment of your life, every word that you are is about, you know, trying to make this world a better place. And uh, and uh, I hope that, you know, that I can do half of it as much as you're doing. But at the same time, uh, for me, what drives me is basically. There is a saying in conservation and there's a saying uh, when it comes to our planet itself that the biggest threat to our planet and the biggest threat uh, to the environment is the thought that somebody else will make a difference. 
Uh, and mm. that is something that absolutely drives me because we have to stop thinking that governments are going to make a difference or or activists are going to make a difference or NGOs or civil bodies are going to make a difference or leaders are going to make a difference. And we have to look towards ourselves to make a difference. And we have to constantly, like even if we dedicated our lives to making a difference in this world, uh, we have to constantly think in terms of how can we make our businesses more sustainable and it. How can we use the professions that we are in, whether we are lawyers or doctors or scientists or or people? Like you know, how do we how do we use our own professions? How do we use our own standing in society to actually make this world a better place? Even if it is in our own small way, because because actually it's the small measures and it's the small uh, it's the small gestures that actually you know that actually add up and make a massive massive difference. Because at the end of the day, we have seven million people in this world. And if seven million people mm-hmm. decide that within our own lives we are going to make small a small difference or incremental differences or incremental change within our own lives to make this world a better place, then then you know the then the human race will be a successful race. Right, right, absolutely, so true, so true. So as we move into this day of honoring India's independence, do you think it's free? Uh, do you think? I think so. I think in um. I think in a way in yeah. which how the people move, there is an element of freedom that just flows through the culture of its people. Of course, when I look at freedom, I look at it from a spiritual perspective. Is the soul free yeah. of its own limitations? So everyone, whether you're Indian, American, African, we all have to work on our inner freedom to be really truthfully free on this planet. So uh, on one level... Um, there is a free flow, whether it seems like what I um, you know, have shared, it's an organized chaos, and I wrote a story about it, that India has a sort of a chaos, but it's organized. And there's a feeling in the people that just allows that flow to happen. But you know, for me, I feel the real freedom is in the people. But I do sense that yeah. there is a kind of a freedom in India that I don't have here in, in the U.S., it's it's just different. Even though I am free so here, it has conditions for some weird reason. I, I, I don't know if those words were right. So I, I think that's absolutely true, but uh, for me, I might be a little biased too, because uh, the thing is that since I live in India and I've been uh, brought up for most of my life in India, a lot of times, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, basically, uh, it's basically only natural for humans to feel, you know, free in the place where they consider home. Uh, so I feel mm-hmm. very free in India whenever I'm in India and you know when I'm at home. Uh, so I guess uh, maybe that is a that that sort of like a, where we feel a lot more free. It's a secular society. We are allowed to practice any kind of religion, any kind of a faith. Anybody can come out on to their sexual orientation. Anybody can come out on their uh, on their faith if they're atheists or if they pray to you know, let's say, uh, what do you call that? Something as unsavory as like, you know, as what do you call that? Uh, as uh, 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 really unsavory as like you know praying to the devil or something like that. But, <laughs> but everybody is in that. What I was saying is that uh, whatever everybody feels like doing, whatever everybody feels like uh, you know preaching, whatever everybody feels like uh, you know, however everybody feels like living their own life or leading their own life, everybody is completely free in India, and that is something that I absolutely love about this. Uh, about the country, uh, that uh, people are less judgmental about other people within India. And uh, but I guess I'm completely biased since I've been uh, brought <laughs> up over here, so I have that sense of freedom over here. Uh, but maybe yes. if I was born in another country, I would have felt the same way over there. 
Yeah, perhaps. I like like for me because I'm half Indian, half African, and I I understand yeah. the Indian part in my Indian culture. Also, the fact that I've seen another side of the world, I keep trying to find the best of both worlds without being judgmental. And one of the things that I always really tell folks who are living here as foreigners, so to speak, is bring your values to America. It's in need of it. And pick up what you have liked about America so that we can make the planet a better place. I think that a lot of this shift in the environment, Ricky, starts from a thought level. If you can think of yourself as a soul that is like the environment. It is a part of the environment. And your soul is an yeah. energy and a molecule and, and, and something that needs to be sustained. Then just imagine if we begin to focus on the thought level, how am I thinking and, and how am I treating my interior world with food, with relationship, with um, um, exercise, uh, just with my conscience then won't we just automatically be caretakers for the planet? I absolutely agree with you on that because mm. at the end of the day, nature is a reflection of ourselves and we are part right. of the natural world. We are not exclusive from it. And also we have to understand that since we are part of the natural world and we are part of the environment and the planet, and just a small part of it, you know, the pain and suffering that we inflict on nature is pain and suffering that will eventually be inflicted on ourselves. And we as humans, we feel that all right. You know, is that pain and suffering we inflict on nature, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day, even if it is mirrored back on us, it's not going to be mirrored back on me individually, you know. But we have to start thinking as a species because at the end of the day, the species itself will be harmed. It's not us right now. We will be harmed, like, you know, in future generations. You know, I hope I'm making sense over here, but at the end of the day, you know, we have to think of us as being part of the natural world and part of uh, the ecosystem that makes the entire yes. planet because because we are just a small part of it and, and you know and our success and our survival depends upon the overall ecosystem working. No, you're making a lot of sense and you're very clear and I appreciate your sharing on our special segment here. If you're joining in on America Meditating Radio, I'm having a wonderful conversation with Grammy Award winner Ricky Cage and environmentalist as well and we are doing a special segment honoring India's independence day today. So let's go to Ricky again and ask him about, I know this has been a few years now, but my gosh, are you still like reveling in your Grammy Award winning that happened? (laughs) Because that was a big win. Weren't you surprised? Yeah, because uh, I mean, of course, it uh, came as a huge uh, pleasant shock to me. Uh, The nomination itself was a huge uh, shock. And then after that, the win uh, because very few Indian people have actually uh, won the Grammy. In fact, I'm only yeah. the fourth uh, uh, Grammy Award winner from India. Wow. I'm the youngest, so it was quite a, a moment actually for me to for me to win the Grammy. And of course, I'm still reveling in it, as you mentioned, because I'm still mm-hmm. sometimes in a state of disbelief that I actually uh, that I actually won that award because it's pretty much the pretty much the biggest award when it comes to music in the world, and it's sort of like a dream for every musician to actually win the award. But at yes. the same time, you know, when it comes to awards itself, a lot of people ask me that, you know, that uh, do are awards extremely important? And I say, yes, awards are, in fact, uh, quite important to me. Uh, not because of the vanity side of it, because that does not mean anything to me, but because with the kind of work that I'm doing with the environment and with my music for social causes and things like that, I believe that platforms are very important because uh, you need people to actually take you seriously. And, uh, and I look yes. at every award that I win as being a platform uh, for doing bigger and better things because more people take you seriously and 
you're able to get through to more people and uh, and also spread your work further and wider for uh, for positive social impact. I keep holding this thought for you that you'll be one of these extra global sensations because you know how like everybody in the world knows Michael Jackson. You know, it's like I want yeah. you to be this global yeah. sensation because of the quality and the energy that is transmitted through your music moves the human soul. And if you've ever, all of you listening in on the conversation, if you've never listened to Ricky Cage's music, I ask you to do that today and go and get a copy of his albums because it's something that moves you in a way that um, it's it's a soother, but it also encourages you. It takes you to another dimension of a thought that says you can do more and you can be better. And that's what I have felt with your music. I believe you're also working on a new album called Shiva. You want to give us a little bit of a sneak preview and what we can expect? Yeah, I mean, that's that's, uh, an album which has been quite close to me for the last uh, few months. So the album is, uh, uh, since all my music is about the environment and nature, I uh, figured out that, uh, you know, that uh, Shiva in India, uh, a very popular deity, and uh, Shiva, in my opinion, as a god or as a deity, is is uh, pretty much an embodiment of coexistence and of uh, environmental consciousness. Because this particular deity, uh, you know, has got around his neck. He's blue in color, so that is representative of the oceans and the sky. He's got the Ganga, that is the most important river in India, flowing out of his hair. He's uh, his son is an elephant. Rides on a on a, a house. Uh, so basically, he's got all these elements of coexistence. And when I went deeper and deeper into the ancient scriptures, which date like 2000 BC, 3000 BC, I realized that that you know that that India is all about coexistence, and India at its at its primary core is all about coexistence through through the form of Shiva. So that is why mm-hmm. I created 60 minutes of brand new music on Shiva, and I performed this at a concert in Chennai uh, to an audience of 7,000 people with musicians from six different countries with a 300-member choir, with a full orchestra. And this particular concert has been recorded live at the concert, and that is the album that uh, we have released. Beautiful. Look, can't wait to get it. I, I can't wait to hear it and go deep into it. As we get to a close of our beautiful time together, I believe you were recently made the UNESCO Global Ambassador of Kindness, and how suitable is that for you? You'll be performing a concert on the 23rd of August in New Delhi to promote the kindness campaign. Can you tell us a little bit more about the concert and about the about being a global ambassador for kindness? What does that require? Uh, it, it was a good that UNESCO uh, uh, bestowed on me that, uh, that you know, making me the global kindness ambassador for UNESCO. And uh, so UNESCO has started this huge campaign known as Kindness Matters. Uh, this particular campaign is to encourage people all over the world to make acts of kindness, but not just any act of kindness, uh, but uh, acts of kindness that, that sort of, uh, in, in its own small way or big way, contribute towards sustainability on this planet. It could be sustainability in terms of educating children. It could be about preventing sexual violence. It could be about uh, the environment. It could be about climate change. It could be about species conservation. So basically anything to do with sustainability of the human race of the planet, anything that contributes to that would, uh, would be an act of kindness. So I'm the ambassador of uh, kindness with UNESCO, encouraging more and more people through my music, through my concerts, through my advocacy, through social media, to contribute to these acts of kindness and also 
uh, and also mention about these acts of kindness to UNESCO so that we can identify these acts to the world. The concept that I'm doing is to launch this particular campaign and also to uh, to amplify the campaign to the whole uh, world. We are performing at IIT Delhi, which is a premier science institute in India, and uh, and hopefully we will be able to reach this campaign out to as many people all over the world. Beautiful. Are you looking forward to the concert? Uh, yeah, of course, of course. I'm really looking forward to the concert, and we've been rehearsing for it, and uh, a couple of musicians are flying down from different parts of the world, so it's, it's going to be really, really exciting, yeah. Beautiful. Now, last question. What are you doing to get more children involved in sustainability and environmentalism? Thanks for asking me that question. I've done this bit in India known as My Earth Song, where what I've done is that for the first time in my life, I've written these 27 songs for children between the grades of uh, grade 1 to grade 8, so it's basically primary school and middle school. So the songs are about different aspects of sustainability. We've got one song which is about plastics, another song which is about teaching children what is a carbon print, another one is about the rhinoceros, another one is about teaching children about the importance of trees and, uh, and protecting trees. And uh, these songs are being disseminated through the education system in India, where in this particular academic year of 2019, uh, we have been incorporated into 4.9 million textbooks across India in various Indian wow. languages, and we have scaled that up in 2021 to more than 10 million textbooks, and we're also looking at countries all over the world. We've also translated the songs into Spanish and French, and we're looking at trying to release these uh, songs into the educational curriculum all over the world. Uh, so this is something that will start the conversation on sustainability at a very young age with children. We keep talking about changing mindsets and rewiring the youth, uh, so that would not be necessary if we already start with this particular you know, idea of of uh, teaching children about sustainability and about the environment through rhymes because the songs that you learn during a childhood are that you remember forever. So that's a project that I've been quite passionate about and uh, and, uh, and it's been driving me quite a bit uh, for the last one year. Do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> I do sleep, but the thing is that uh, since I do not have a day job and I do not have anything else to do, Every waking moment of my life is basically uh, is basically <laughs> about this, about music and the environment. But I do get my sleep of about seven or eight hours every single day. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Listen, thank you for joining me on our special India segment in honor of in- India's Independence Day. I couldn't have ended the segment on a better note than with someone like you. And um, I'm looking forward to us just having more conversations and spying on each other so we can just keep up with each other's yeah. good work and can continue to just really create um, a very strong ripple in our planet to make it a better place. Could you leave us with a website where our listeners can find more information about you and your work? Yeah, so the website is www.rickycage.com, R-I-C-K-Y-K-E-J.com. R-I-C-K-Y-K-E-J.com. Thank you. You're awesome. We love you, and thank you so very much. Thank you for the honor, and it's always a huge, huge honor to even meet you and be on your radio show. Thank you so much. Same here, Ricky. Take care. Bye-bye. That was Grammy Award winner Ricky Cage. Just, um, he just, everything about him is to serve. Everything about him is to make things a better place, and everything about him is also the music. That music is a healing agent. Music can help with your environment, with your emotions, with your state of mind, with the way that you choose to take care of yourself, which is also a planet within itself. So for more information, do go and check out Ricky Cage. And I really hope you've enjoyed this segment with um, my focus on India 
its culture, its celebration of its people. I mean, he was the fourth Indian to win the Grammy Award. And again, it continues to kind of, there's there's this cultural thread of souls that are in Indian bodies. They just keep progressing. They just keep moving forward. They're, They're like a river. They're really like the Ganga, you know. Nothing can hold them back. They just keep flowing. They just keep flowing. No matter what it is, there's a million of them on the street, they will flow. If there's a billion of them on the street, they're going to flow. If there's a billion point three or billion point seven, they're going to flow. They're going to flow. So to all of you listening in on this conversation, we really, really want to honor those of you who are not only lovers of India, but who are born in the culture and would like to keep inviting you and and remind you, please, continue to share your values to the world and continue to make what you are as a land and as a country a sample for a future, perhaps an age that we can call a Satyugi age, an age of truth, an age of power, and an age of beauty. I'm going to end this today's with a song called Love Divine by Ricky, and we hope that you enjoyed your time with us. Take care, everyone.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.